You're listening to McBee Care Threads, a podcast where leaders across the healthcare industry can learn from each other. We'll discuss stories and explore strategies to help providers deliver value-based care and hear your peers share their best practices for success. Let's get into the show. Hello and welcome everyone to the McBee Care Threads podcast. My name is Maria Warren and I'm a vice president here at McBee. Our guest today is Jennifer Kennedy, who's the vice president of quality and standards at CHAP. On today's episode, we're going to be covering hospice quality and performance improvement. So let's get started. Jennifer, thanks for joining me on today's podcast. Why don't you take a minute to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your background and role at CHAP? Well, first of all, Maria, thanks for having me on. I, I really do appreciate it because I just love to talk about quality. It's, it's the best. As you said, I'm Jennifer Kennedy. I'm the Vice President for Quality and Standards at CHAP, and I'm relatively new there. I joined CHAP last December after being with the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization for oh, over 15 years. So I, I do have, um, I'm a nurse by trade, uh, and I do have the bulk of my experience in healthcare is in the hospice and palliative care realm, um, compliance and quality is, is really my bailiwicks or my space, if you want to call it that. So I love to talk about quality. I think everybody always has an opportunity every day to move their quality needle forward. So again, thanks for having me on. That's great. I, I love that you say everybody has the opportunity to move the, the quality needle forward every single day and everything that we do. How do we up the ante? How do we give it a little bit more oomph? How do we make take it to the next right. level? And I, I right. truly love that. So I'm glad that you shared that there. And and your, your hospice guru and, and quality background in nature um, is going to be great to share your knowledge and insights and expertise with our listeners today. Thanks, Maria. So could you start off by sharing a little bit about the history for us? You know, how and why did quality improvement start with hospice? What motivated Medicare to add quality improvement into the regulations? So I always think of uh, hospice in the Medicare realm as the caboose on the Medicare train. Hospice is always the last things for Medicare uh, initiatives to come to. And quite frankly, before uh, hospice quality reporting began for hospice as a result of the Affordable Care Act in 2010, measuring quality in other provider types in Medicare was already happening. So we just had to get looped into that continuum uh, the same as every other provider. So under the ACA, there was a provision to thou shalt start measuring uh, quality data in uh, hospice Medicare. And it was designed as a pay for submission type of a program, meaning that if you didn't submit your data as required, you would have a 2% reduction and hospice reimbursements in a coordinating year. And hospice really started reporting their, their basic data, which is different from what it is today, but the whole concept of reporting data to CMS um, began in 2014. And there was always that intent for CMS to get any kind of quality data into the public realm at a future date. So. As we look at quality reporting today, we are now in line with all of the other provider types, almost, in terms of submitting data. We don't have 
any kind of survey data up on Medicare Compare quite yet, but that could happen down the line. So I think we need to be ready for that as a hospice community. Thank you for sharing that. That's always, I, I feel like, important. Of we, we need to understand the background of where did we come from, what got us from here to there, and how did the history and some of the the legislation and things that were enacted, how did that form this path forward of what got us to where we are today and how all of our listeners, as well as the, all the providers out there, how do they continue to prepare and to um, make sure that they know what's on the horizon, how not to get hit um, by the, the reimbursement cuts for not reporting on the quality data and making sure that um, they're ready for the future of what hospice quality improvement has to continue to morph and become. Before we move on, one thing I wanted to say about the reduction is that as of fiscal year 2024, we're going from a 2% reduction to a 4% reduction for not reporting data. Now, it's either you choose not to report it or you didn't meet compliance requirements for reporting the data. Either way, it's going to cost you 4% in a coordinating reimbursement year if you fall into either of those buckets. And I don't think there's anybody who can leave 4% on the table, especially now that sequestration is back in full force, you're already having 2% taken away from you right from the get go. So uh, it's really important for uh, organizations to understand that you have, you have to watch everything that's going in you have to be mindful and do those checks and balances because if you are intending to submit data, you have to make sure that it's submitted correctly so that you don't get the dreaded letter like in June or July mm -hmm. that says you didn't meet compliance requirements and you're going to have a deduction. That's so true. I mean, when you think about things, it's these little things. Well, who's submitting it? Where are the checks and balances? How right. do we make sure that it gets submitted? Because just failing to submit and getting then slapped with 4% down the line, you're right, with the additional, um, the sequestration coming back and just the constant um, financial and cost strains on, on providers, it, little things like that, you have to make sure that you're meeting those stipulations and getting it submitted and in compliance with the timeliness of it as well. Exactly. So one thing that you you touched on that I love the way that you put it on, everyone can do do their part every day on moving the needle related to quality. And what would you say the key elements or the best practices, so to speak, are of a robust quality improvement program? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, in that continuous quality improvement uh, environment or approach, everybody is all hands in. In, as it relates to quality. And really, in that kind of an approach, the frontline people are responsible, not necessarily the leadership. But you still, I would say the number one thing to start with is that you have to have leadership support and allocation of resources uh, in order to have that robust quality program that everyone needs to have. And that sets the tone for, are we going to, um, have a culture in our organization that is quality driven. And that sort of ties into what's your true north? Do you want to be an organization that's 
known for providing um, good quality care out in your community. You're the organization that has a good reputation, that has no problem get, getting referrals because they know your referral sources know they can count on you. Um, you have good word of mouth. All of those things tie into that culture in your organization. Also, in, in a continuous quality improvement uh, approach and atmosphere, you're knowing what your current state is at any given time. And that you know, applies to operations and clinical care uh, alike. Continuously self-assessing where you are because you can't improve your state if you don't know where you are at any given time. There is a plethora, Maria, of data out there whether it's internal or external, you're gonna you know, leverage all of it in order to see where your gaps are. So you know, some of that external data is available to you or you, know, you get it, it's a matter of whether you're consciously looking for it and using it, like the um, HQRP data, the PEPPER reports, the public use file, vendor data, um, all of that is gonna be extremely helpful for you to be data-driven and identify your gaps in practice. Another item is using the regulations as the floor. You want to exceed at you know, any moment that you come to work at 24-7, you want to exceed what those minimum regulatory requirements are and adopt that higher standard of practice approach so that you are going to be able to reach service excellence as one of your goals for quality. And then another thing that you know really has become abundantly clear in the in the last two years, and particularly uh, in this year, is embedding health equity into your quality program. And inequity and disparity really impact, have a huge impact in healthcare quality. And in fact, um, there was a white paper that came out last year from the group that wrote uh, Crossing the Quality Chasm way back when in, in 2001. And they, this group of experts wrote this white paper that said health equity is the next most important healthcare quality item to pay attention to. So I think those are some of the high ticket items I would identify as being robust elements of a QI program. You have to pay attention to it all the time, every day. It's not just like, all right, we're going to do quarterly analysis and reports and report out to the board. It's an everyday kind of built-in culture, uh, and everyone has a responsibility in that culture to, to, like I said before, move that quality needle forward. That was so helpful and informative and really not only shares what providers need to be doing, but how do they need to be changing and adapting? And as you talked about, more and more information is available at our fingertips. But what are we doing with that information? How are we leveraging it? How are we using it? How are we pivoting? How are we adjusting? What are we doing more of? What are we doing less of? What's going to move that needle on quality? And how do we make that culture of quality as one of our things on the forefront within the organization? to really help set that tone. And as you talked about, so many of these things are going to be publicly reported. 
So yeah. it's not only you knowing this information, it's the whole world to know. So when um, when you think more about patients and families and caregivers, as, as well as referral sources and things, making that choice, you got to make sure that you have your best foot forward when as this information gets out there for all to see that you have that. And, and, and if you do it, I truly believe it's going to shine through. And it's going to set you apart and make you be a differentiator in the market. Oh, my gosh, yes. Uh, you know, it, it's it's great to get great CAP scores. And it's great to have a good, you know, composite HIS score and et cetera down the line. But if you come to work every day and say, we want to be known as providing the best quality care for uh, terminally ill and seriously ill patients. and giving them that experience they deserve until they take their last breath, that's really what's driving your quality program. The rest of it are metrics to see, you know, how are you doing along the way to that particular goal? The hospitals that can say, um, oh, it's great if you have, you know, three to four stars or even five, but those testimonials, you know, you made such a difference in, in my family's life. And my mother couldn't have uh, done this without you. All of those are really what it's all about, Maria. In my mind, having done this for uh, most of my 36 years as a nurse, so I, you know, that that's the true north of a hospice organization is doing it right. Because most of the time, we only have one chance to do it right. So true. Very well, well said and stated. So when we think about all of these hospice quality reporting program, um, how this has developed um, and has picked up so much speed over the past few years, what does the future of hospice quality improvement look like? Yeah, that that's a, a big consideration. And I, I would say the, the first thing that's sort of on the immediate horizon is the HOPE assessment tool. This is a standardized assessment tool. If we were going to liken it to OASIS and home health or the MDS and the nursing uh, facility realm, it's this type of a tool. And CMS wants to develop this tool so they can collect and trend like information, apples to apples for every provider. And they're going to use that um, tool also to develop future quality measures for the hospice quality reporting program. And um, another goal that CMS has clear in stating is that they will use this data as well to help inform uh, future payment reform for hospice. I think we are probably a couple of years out still <laughs> from the HOPE assessment being implemented. Um, we're, it's still in a beta test. CMS doesn't have enough providers yet in order to test this final draft of their tool. So that's going to take some time. Then there's the analysis part. Then it will finally go to rulemaking. And then there's all the training and implementation of it. So we're a few years out from that. CMS has also been very clear that they plan to develop more measures, process measures, outcome measures, and even hybrid measures, which um, are hybrid measures are a combination of developing and using the measure with more than one data source for the calculation. I'm excited about the HOPE tool because that's actually going to give us some outcome measures, patient outcome measures for hospice. Boy, that's been a long time coming. 
And um, as much as we bulk and maybe don't like claims-based measures, there are going to be more claims-based measures to come. And CMS even let us know in um, this uh, past fiscal year rule that they are planning to develop a structural composite measure that is just related to health equity. So again, that ties back to CMS's you know, push to, to really bring health equity to the forefront, pay attention to it. They've got a lot of initiatives going on. A lot of work is happening. Um, there's a lot of data collection planned. And you know, having a, a measure is the next logical step in that process. So big things to look forward to. Or maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> it depends. Are you ready or are you not? That's right. <laughs> always what it boils down to of where, as you said it best, where is your true north? Where are you looking to go um, for those that aren't ready and don't have robust quality programs in place, not up to snuff on a compliance standpoint, may struggle as we continue to roll these um, things out and, and continue to move to the future of what hospice looks like related to these more outcomes-based measures. For those that are maybe ha that aren't standalone hospice and have home health organizations or skilled nursing facilities, as you alluded to, that have seen these other types of OASIS and MDS, they, they know what's to come. But if you're a standalone hospice with blinders up to what's happening in the other industries, that's so much of a, a forefront of everybody's moving towards this, you know, so it's yeah. coming in different waves and fashions and whatnot. Um, you know, even if, and we didn't have it on the agenda of things to even cover today, but VBIT, you know, of how we're continuing to shift towards value-based care. We have a whole nother one that we could talk about just on oh that, gosh. right? <laughs> it's a whole nother conversation, but you're absolutely right. You know, CMS is looking at their Medicare uh, as a continuum of care. And there's been a lot of discussion over the last couple of years in developing measures that pull through that continuum of care. So we could um, have a measure that is applied in an inpatient facility, and it's a measure that actually can be worked and applicable to post-acute as well. So there is that apple-to-apple -apple measurement rather than apples-to-oranges is what we have right now. So that's going to be an interesting concept is to see how CMS plans to develop these sort of universal measures. And health equity might be a good place to start that. Very true. Very true. Um, one other thing that I know that uh, is the hospice care index, you know, also known as the HCI that's out there with those claims, the 10 claims based measures. Right. What advice do you have for providers on how to be proactive. So since the, the CMS data, as it gets released out there, it's going to be a lag. So how do you, A, not live by the, the no surprise rule of, you know, oh, it's up here. Now what do I do? And this is old data. So now we know that if we've been doing that the whole time, the next quarter that's released is going to have that same information. What advice do you want to give to our listeners out there on how they could be more proactive in assessing and managing these measures more real time? Yeah, and I think that's the million dollar question. Um, the HCI indicators are really measuring utilization for the most part. That's what they are measuring. And in a value-based purchasing model, you see a lot of utilization translated into 
quality measurement. So I think, first of all, that's the first thing to wrap your arms around is that we are moving towards value-based purchasing and embracing the idea that utilization falls into the quality measurement pile is, is the first thing you have to reconcile in your head as an organization. So um, with that said, I think that um, we all know what the 10 indicators are and trying to figure out a way that you could be measuring them more in real time in order to affect what their outcome is on the long range, two years down the line, right? What you're doing now, today, isn't going to be reported for two years. So how do you want to affect those scores two years in the future? There are some indicators in this set that we can't affect. You know, after a patient is discharged from hospice, there's not a lot we can do. If they go to the hospital, whether they go to the hospital and have treatment and come back out and come to another hospice or your hospice, or they, they die there, once they leave you, there's not a lot you can do, right? But you do have some impact on the other ones, nursing visits, whether you're providing GIP to the extent that you can. Obviously, I think we want um, our patients to have the choice of the experience they want. So we're not going to be forcing them into excessive nursing visits or visits on weekends that they don't want or putting them into GIP when they don't want that. But I think it's looking for opportunities and that might be, you know, in whatever time frame you decide, whether it's quarterly or monthly, looking for missed opportunities. Could we have, for instance, could we have services patient under continuous home care versus putting them in a GIP setting? There's an opportunity that could have been a possible best scenario for the patient, maybe, maybe not, and that also would affect your HCI score or that indicator score. Looking for nursing visits, you know, do depending on your staffing situation, and that's a whole other conversation today, are you trying to reduce nursing visits because you don't have staff? Are you, for instance, you're on call, are you saying we're only sending nurses out in these specific parameters? I think looking at each of these indicators individually and trying to measure them in as real time as possible is going to help the impact of the scores two years down the line. Now that's a tall order is how do you look at them in real time? And I think that's what hospice providers are trying to figure out right now. CMS likes this measure. It's gonna stay. We don't necessarily as a community like it, but they do. And they feel, um, they, they actually put out a index technical report in the last few months, and they said that the the empirical results that they published in this re report really reinforced the sustainability of this measure to continue in the hospice quality reporting program because the variation in the scores really differentiates one hospice provider from another. And um, that's what CMS is trying to accomplish with this measure. So I don't know if I have any sort of down in the weeds advice for listeners out there on, you know, how do I measure it in real time? I think you have to figure that out. It, well, certainly ties to your uh, EMR that you're using. 
um, and any other vendor that you might have uh, is helping you with your data. And it may be, um, depending on the outcomes of your scores, that you might have to look for help in terms of vendors that deal with data um, to help you measure it in real time if you want to make some true effect to the outcomes. Well said, and that that's and I and I like the way that you put it. You need to understand the data, how it's calculated, but then don't forget about doing the deep dives because I think the deep dives, as you put it, of looking into well, what what type of care did the patient receive? Um, could they have been receiving a different level of care? That it's getting back to that um, level of internal review and quality review and looking at um, to say, what did we provide to this patient? Could they have benefited from another level of care, a different service that kind of gives you that um, SWOT analysis of how, how did we provide care? What could have been done differently? And based on that, how would that have, if you, if you took this standalone, how would that have changed our score on this particular patient? You know, if we were just, you know, doing one patient at a time as part of it. Um, so I think that that's really interesting to break it down, not only by by questions, by time periods, but it's also understanding your patient mix. I mean, the yes. types of patients you serve could um, skew and, and change the way some of those numbers are presented too, based on your referral sources and the patient's diagnosis as part of it as well. So there's so many things that go into it, but as you put it, you know, being able to get the data from your EMR, you know, these are all claims-based measures. They're all calculated. But even if you think of, if you want data and you want real time, tell you're able to calculate it and say, all right, we, we build all the claims for this month. You're 30 days later, you know, from, from that yeah. standpoint. So even though you try to be proactive, it's still a reactive type of model um, in, in staying on top of it, but tracking trending and then seeing where you can drive the impact. Yeah, exactly. And you know, accurate clean claims, important, important, important. But now this is another <laughs> variable that you're, you're putting into that, oh my God, I hope my uh, claims are as accurate as they should be. And doing that sort of billing audit before you hit send is even mm -hmm. more crucial than it's ever been because you want to make sure that you're getting credit for everything one that you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. And um, that the data that you're putting in there is absolutely accurate because it's going to come out <laughs> on public reporting, mm -hmm. you know? And I can't stress that enough is that there has to be that checks and balance. You can't just do the pool. You have to do the pool. You have to do a review and then it goes in. If corrections are needed, you do the corrections, but, I think, you know, there are opportunities for improvement within this measure as well. I, I talked to many hospices in my career and getting away from that um, sort of recipe or formula, nursing visits one to two times a week, social work one time a month, spiritual care one time a month. You know, we really truly have to individualize that plan of care. And if mm -hmm. someone's anxious, oh my God, send a nurse more than one time a week, you know? <laughs> or, or you know, send them twice a week and uh, do some check-ins with them mm -hmm. telephonically or whatever method they like in mm -hmm. between, you know? Yeah. So it, absolutely, that's manage it to the patient. Don't don't blanket it. it what the does patient. the patient need? So true.
Um, because that's the thing. It's like, you know, that also ties into then we talked about um, the patient satisfaction and the CAP scores. Right. It all interrelates. It, it, this all goes together as part of it. It absolutely does. And, you know, I think, again, missed opportunities. The one thing I think we can do better, and, and that sort of goes in with individualizing what matters to that person and, and building that individual plan of care is, at, you know, asking them about the perspective. For instance, you know, there's that um, question on the CAPS survey about timeliness of care. Well, what we think might be timely is not necessarily what your patient, that individual patient, thinks is timely. So asking them, what do you think is a timely response if you call our after hours like? And if they say, I want to call back in five minutes, that might not necessarily be your policy, right? And then you have to make that explanation. So perspective is everything, I think, as it relates to um, satisfaction. Very true. I couldn't say it better myself. You know, how do you set the expectations and communicate it? Um, Because that's also, you know, putting it uh, all into perspective of, well, what is the patient expecting and how are we going to help best meet their needs as part of it? Exactly. Thank you. I I love your passion and enthusiasm and and your knowledge surrounding this topic. You're such a wealth of knowledge. Um, We covered so much today. What would you say closing thoughts and advice for our hospice listeners to take away today? Well, I think um, quality is as important as compliance. And um, as we move towards payment methodology where, you know, you're paid for your performance, we have to really beef up our quality uh, proposition in our organization. So paying attention to it, allotting dedicated resources for it, building it into your culture, I think those things, if they're not happening, have to happen if you're going to be successful down the line. And um, I'm a proponent of continuous quality imp- uh, improvement. So you have to know your current state at any given time. And that really, again, ties back to leadership support, cultural uh, embedding of quality in the organization, and letting your people be stakeholders, your staff be stakeholders in the quality program. Because they're the ones out there doing it every day. And, and we are relying on them to give the best care possible uh, for that person, for whatever that person feels good care looks like, right? So knowing those things, investing in your staff is really gonna help move your quality needle forward as well. So yes, we have to pay attention to all the regulations and all the things that are happening. But if you, if you say my true north is to be the organization in my community, it gives the best quality care, then you have to dedicate your resources and your mission to do that. Jennifer, thank you for for sharing those insights, joining me today. This has been absolutely wonderful. Lots of great info shared and takeaways for our listeners to how to take it back to their organization and make quality a part of their culture. So I hope everyone enjoyed this episode of the McBee Care Threads podcast. Thanks, Maria. 
At McBee, we understand the challenges providers face across the healthcare landscape. For more than 45 years, we've been a part of the evolution of the healthcare industry. Our strategic advisory solutions span the home health, hospice, health system, and senior living care continuums, creating improved clinical, financial, and operational outcomes. Our expertise is guaranteed. Our solutions empower. Visit us today at mcbeeassociates.com. Thank you for listening to McBee Care Threads. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. For more information on the topics discussed today, visit our website at mcbeeassociates.com. Until next time. Thank you.